0: We're working our way through the book of Acts. So take a Bible. If you don't have a Bible with you, I have, we have Bibles in the pews. I can give you the page reference. We're in Acts chapter 5. And as I've already preached on another occasion in the past, on Ananias and Sapphira, I'm going to skip that section today. So we will pick it up in Acts chapter 5. Page 1698, 1698. Did I say 1844 or 1698? 1698, and we're going to be picking up at verse 12. Verse 12 of Acts 5. Did I say 4 or 5? 5. All right. Let's have a word of prayer. Gracious God, as we open Your Word, I pray, Lord, that we will discover perhaps new things, or if, if there are truths that we know, may they, we see them in a fresh way. May they challenge us this morning. Help us to understand the strategy of the evil one. Because whether we know it, Lord, we're all caught up in that great conflict between Christ and Satan, between good and evil. So help us to have the spiritual radar on and detect his methods and his strategy. And we thank you, Lord, that he is a defeated foe through Jesus Christ our Lord. In his name we pray. Amen. Okay, we're in Acts chapter 5, picking it up in verse 12, and we're going to try and get to verse 42. I make no promises. As soon as Jesus promised the gift of the Holy Spirit, we've studied that on numerous occasions. In Acts chapter 2, the outpouring of the Spirit on the day of Pentecost was fulfilled. But when God visits his people, Satan goes on the war path. We have this amazing healing in chapter 3. Um where the people were just astounded that this lame man had been healed by God after being lame for over 40 years. And that really made an an impact on the city of, of Jerusalem. But the authorities were upset. Now we might scratch our head and say, well, why were they so upset when such a good deed was done? to this lame man. But they were. And so we saw in chapter 4 that they brought in Peter and John and they threatened them. Those are the methods of Satan. To threaten, to coerce, to force. And though his name is not necessarily mentioned, we should be able to uh, read between the lines and see his working. And what did Peter and John say? It really doesn't matter what you say to us. We we have to be witnesses. We are witnesses of these things. We have to testify about what we know. They didn't punish them on that occasion in chapter 4. They let them off with just a verbal threat. Did they keep their mealy mouths shut? You're not sure? No! No! They went out and they preached boldly the Lord Jesus Christ. They disobeyed the religious authorities. So we can see Satan's strategy is to use persecution and force, even though at this point it's pretty gentle. It's just hauling them in and threatening them, and then letting them go, hoping they keep their mouths shut. In chapter 5, we see another method of Satan where he tries to destroy the church from within through Ananias and Sapphira with their deceit, with their hypocrisy. And now, this morning, we're going to look at persecution yet again. So, in chapter 5, verse 12, um, We see verse 12 through through, through verse 16. We see this amazing healing ministry. And then we see the persecution. And by the time we get to chapter 6, then we see the disciples being distracted with social issues. So if you're called by God to preach, to teach, and to pray... Should should you be into social administration? Chapter six, verses one through five, I believe it is, or one through seven, I can't remember now. Um, says no. So that is another strategy of the evil one, that when we are gifted for certain ministry, then we find ourselves being sidetracked. Acts chapter six verses one through seven. So whether we see physical violence and persecution, which is what we're going to look at this morning, whether it's moral corruption in the church with people like Ananias and Sapphira, or whether whether it's distraction, professional distraction, uh, focusing on the lesser things, not that social side of things is 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 lesser. It's very very important. I'm sure Seventh-day Adventists can learn something by socially getting involved in in your community for the church being a place. It was interesting that when we had the cooking school recently that uh, some people were referring to our fellowship hall as the community center. So it's a good thing for the church to be involved in social issues, but if you've been called to preach, to teach, and to pray, then that's what you need to be doing. Let's pick it up in verse 12 of 5. The apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them even though they were highly regarded by the people. Why not? Well, Ananias and Sapphira had just been taken out. God was in their midst. If you're half-hearted, then you don't want to attach yourself So these believers, even though they're highly regarded by the people, there was a tendency not to join them. And yet, in verse 14, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. So do you believe enough to join the cause? Many did. And what we are seeing is a church that is growing and growing and growing. Why? Because God has a plan. Because God has a strategy. God has purposes for His church. He wants His church to grow. And for the church to grow, there have to be spokespersons. People who will speak and teach the good news about the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, who could that be today? Because we don't have the apostles in our midst, do we? So who should it be today? Are we going to leave that work to the pastors? Then the kingdom will grow slowly. If we take it seriously ourselves, get into society, share the Lord Jesus Christ in whatever way we can, then good things will happen and God's kingdom will grow. Verse 15, as a result, people brought the sick into the streets, laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by evil spirits, and all of them were healed. Now, this is not the first time by any means that we've looked at signs and wonders and miracles and healings on the part of God's church. And I did mention to you, perhaps it was last week or on some other occasion, um, let me share this statement with you because I want you to see how the signs and the wonders, it's, it's been a big issue in Christianity, not so much in the Seventh-day Adventist church, um, but listen to this statement from Nine Testament, is 1.26. In visions of the night, representations passed before me of a great reformatory movement amongst God's people. That's what Pentecost was. Revival, Reformation, movement. Many were praising God. The sick were healed and other miracles were wrought. This is at the end of the age before Christ comes back. A spirit of intercession was seen even as it was manifested before the great day of Pentecost. Hundreds and thousands were seen visiting families and opening before them the Word of God. Hearts were convicted by the power of the Holy Spirit and a spirit of genuine conversion was manifest. See, if there is genuine conversion, then you join the cause. If there's half-hearted, then you kind of hold back. Hearts were convicted by the power of the Holy Spirit and a spirit of genuine conversion was manifest. On every side doors were thrown open to the proclamation of the truth. The world seemed to be lightened with the heavenly influence. Great blessings were received by the true and humble people of God. If God's people get serious about spreading the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have found Jesus Christ to be your good news, then you have something to share. And God expects you and I to be sharing. When we share the Lord Jesus Christ, when there is outreach and evangelism and witnessing going on, miracles tend to happen. Amazing answers to prayer tend to happen. The moving of the Holy Spirit is always along the cutting edge of evangelism. So when we claim promises like, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you, I am with you always, you have to link that with go ye into all the world, preach the gospel, the good news, and of course, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, in what we've just read and talked about, this healing amongst the people, everybody's seeming to get healed. Are there any problems there? No, it's good. It's good community work. It's God at work. There's really nothing to criticize there, is there? So why are the apostles persecuted? Because Satan's upset. He's on the war path. He's hot under the collar. The high priest and all of his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. I talked a little bit last week about the Sadducees. We don't have written documents by them, so we have to kind of put it piecemeal together what we know about the Sadducees. They believed in all the books of the Old Testament. Right or wrong? Wrong. The first five. And in the first five, if they couldn't see angels, miracles, and um, some of the things that we're talking about this morning, resurrection of Christ, of course, is a key one, then they didn't believe it. The Pharisees, however, did believe in the other books, or supposed to have believed in the other books, of the Old Testament. So we will see very soon a man called Gamaliel who will be speaking up on the part of the Pharisees. The Sadducees were the rich, the aristocracy. They were thick with the Romans. They didn't want to upset the status quo. And that's what the apostles were doing. Because when you preach the kingdom of Christ, then all other kingdoms are threatened. They were filled with what? What does verse 17 say? They were filled with jealousy. If these things are true that the apostles are preaching, the Sadducees are finished. And they know it. So they arrested the apostles. They put them in the public jail. No air conditioning, no TV. Probably not three meals a day. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail. Do you believe in angels? there's so many things in the Bible, it doesn't really matter what part of the Bible we're talking about, that are amazing and that are miraculous. And if your mind is so narrow that you, you close yourself to those possibilities of the supernatural, you'll never become a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Or at least it's going to be extremely, extremely hard. So our minds at least have to be open to the possibility of God, to the possibility of of Him working outside of what we would call the norm, the supernatural, miracles, angels, all of these things are all the way through Scripture. So what does the angel do? Open the doors of the jail. Now those must have been old creaky doors, don't you think? And some scholars who can't accept the reality of angels say, well, one of the disciples must have snuck in there and let them out. But you've got to have a lot of WD-40 with you to get those people through those doors without waking up those soldiers. But no problem for God's angels. So the angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail. He brought them out. Go, he said, go stand in those temple courts. So not only are Peter and John defying the authorities, This is heaven's authority now. This angel is speaking on behalf of God Almighty. You go and stand in the temple courts and tell the people the full message of this new life. Do You like the way that's worded? This new life. When we were talking about Galatians this morning, that's one thing the law cannot give you. This new life. So we need God to do that and the way he does that is through his holy spirit and that was one of the gifts one of the promises that the spirit of god would come we read that all the way back to acts chapter 1 right at the end of the gospel of luke you wait for the promise the promise will come of this great gift of the holy spirit we live in the whole the, the age of the holy spirit folks But if you and I are not opening our mouths, if we're not busy in the works of God, then we're not going to have this infilling of the Holy Spirit. And We've seen on other occasions that when Peter has this infilling of the Holy Spirit, then his language is bold and courageous and clear and to the point. God is powerfully working in him. Well, at daybreak, they enter the temple courts. First opportunity they had, they're up there early, they're out. I don't know if they'd have breakfast. And as they'd been told, they began to teach the people. And people listened. Now, these people didn't have access to Bibles like you and I have. They were very much dependent on somebody explaining truth to them. Is it like that in our society? Well, On one side, we can say, no, many people have Bibles today. But the reality is, if they have Bibles, they're not reading them. The reality is, if they even belong to a church, they may not be getting the Word of God. So whichever way you cut the cake, you and I have an obligation to explain the way of this life, this new life that Jesus Christ, this abundant life that only Jesus Christ can give. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin. Now, don't tell me Luke doesn't have a sense of humor. Did you know the Bible's full of humor? Here's part of it. They called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, all the big shots are there, and sent to the jail for the apostles. So you've got to imagine now them getting dressed up early in the morning, really early in the morning, and then being seated there. Now, I don't know how many folks were talking. Seventy plus. It's a whole bunch of people. Here it says the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and they sent to the jail for the apostles. But there's a problem. Didn't we just hear about an angel doing something? Didn't we just hear about these apostles that had been locked up preaching? So they they sent for them, but on arriving at the jail, verse 22, the officers did not find them there, and so they went back and reported, we found the jail securely locked with the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were puzzled. Now Luke's being very nice there when he says the word puzzles. I'm sure that they were just going ballistic. What on earth's going on? Have you looked in the corners? Are you sure they're not there? Go find those men. And they wondered what would become of this. Now, I don't know what that means, whether their life was on the line or what. Then someone came and said, look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. And at that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force. Why not? Because they feared the people would stone them. Don't anyone ever tell you that the common people rejected Jesus and rejected the apostles? There are many, many statements in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John or in the book of Acts that show that Jesus and His apostles made a major impact on society. Now, there may have been very uh, logical reasons why they didn't join Jesus or the apostles. And we just read that some of them maybe were half-hearted, but they did have a big following in the hearts of people. So having brought the apostles, they made them appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. So here it's, It's a a reflection of what happened to the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember he said, if they persecute me, if they put me on trial, if they falsely accuse me, what are they going to do to you? The servant is not better than his master. And when we read about this happening to these leaders of the church, put yourself in that position. What would happen if someone came in this church, if we were living in a former communist country, and someone would come into this church church, surrounded by soldiers. And they said, those of you that are Christians, you get in the van, we're taking you to jail. Well, well, I'm just here to, um, I'm just studying the 28 beliefs. I'm not really signed on the dotted line. Uh, 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 I'm just here for the potluck. So we need to challenge ourselves when we see these men challenged. And when we see their courage, we need to say to ourselves, do I have that kind of courage? Am I willing to stand for Jesus Christ when the chips are down and when the persecution comes? Here's what they said. We gave you strict orders, that's in chapter 4, not to teach in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Did they say that? They hate those words. So we gave you strict orders not to teach in this name. Well, who are you talking about? Spit it out. But it's hard for them. If we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, Satan hates that. And his followers hate that too. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Well, hey, I seem to remember that they said, His blood be upon us and upon our children. And they are partially responsible. Peter and the other apostles replied. Let's read it together. We must obey God rather than man. So if you're into underlining your Bible, marking things in red... That's what needs to be marked. We ought to obey God. We must obey God rather rather than men. Why must we obey God? Well, we're witnesses. The word witness means martyr. So you could substitute the word martyr. So a martyr is someone that lays his life down for the cause. We have seen this Jesus. We've lived with Him. We've seen Him crucified. We've seen Him resurrected. We've seen Him exalted to heaven. We've seen the Holy Spirit poured out. We must obey God. Is that part of our vocabulary? Well, I don't know about this Sabbath stuff. Full of excuses. Do do these guys make excuses? I just want to be a silent witness. Imagine if Peter and John had said that. All the other apostles. And a silent witness can be very powerful. But it comes over and over and over in the book of Acts. We are given a mouth for a reason. And it's not just for eating. Preaching, teaching, praying. So we must obey God rather than men. It's either God's way or it's, it's, it's the highway. We have to do it. God's way, the God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree. So there's Calvary, there's the crucifixion, there's the redemption for the human race. Hang this Jesus on a tree. But God didn't leave him there. God raised him from the dead, put his stamp of approval on the Lord Jesus Christ. And not only that... God exalted him, verse 31, to His own right hand as Prince and Savior that He might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. This is still a very Jewish setting up to this point in the book of Acts. We are witnesses of these things and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey Him. Now, if you're marking your Bibles, you've got a lot of things to mark there. You've got crucifixion. You've got resurrection. You've got exaltation. Coronation of Christ in heaven. And all of that, that is implied in that. And you've got this outpouring of the Holy Spirit. You've got we ought to obey God and not man. And who gets the Holy Spirit? Those who trust in Jesus. A lot of things to mark there. And notice, in these few verses, as we have seen, also in chapter 4 and in chapter 2, this this compact message of the Gospel. The Gospel is not just talking about the forgiveness of your sins. Mention Jesus. Is it possible to preach the Gospel without mentioning Jesus? If it was possible, the Sadducees would do it. No, it's not. You mention the Lord Jesus Christ. It's amazing to me how many times Paul, in his writings, which is especially of interest for me, how many times he manages to get the name of Jesus in when he's talking about things. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. There's power in that name. The name has already been mentioned by the Sadducees, and we're going to see it mentioned again in the next few verses. The name represents the character of of the person, so we mentioned the Lord Jesus Christ, but what did the Lord Jesus Christ? We're not mentioning the Lord Jesus Christ when he was a little boy, we're mentioning the Lord Jesus Christ when he hung on a tree. So, get to that quickly, mention the cross, mention the resurrection. But people will not understand, no, they won't. The Sadducees certainly didn't understand, but nevertheless, this is what we preach and teach. And the Holy Spirit is able when Jesus Christ is exalted to bless, and to convert people. So we're witnesses of things. So is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey Him. When they heard this, they were furious. You don't want to be in that room when these Sadducees and the Sanhedrin is furious. And they wanted to put them to death. So this could be the end of the line for the leaders of the church. But there is a Pharisee there Nobody of the Sadducees, Pharisees and Sadducees, were in opposition. Yes, they'd work together to kill the Lord Jesus Christ or to hurt the apostles. But here the Pharisee Gamaliel, what do we know about Gamaliel? Well, here it says he's a teacher of the law. He was a teacher of the apostle Paul. So Paul will come later in the book of Acts. Gamaliel was the man who taught Paul. Paul a teacher of the law who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. And then he addressed them. So you get the apostles out of the room. Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Theodos appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him and he was killed All of his followers dispersed, and it came to nothing. And then there was another man, and there were many of these messianic figures. Judas, the Galilean, appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. By the way, Josephus, a a non-biblical writer, a historian, Jewish historian, he writes about uh, some of these people. He too was killed, and all of his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go, for if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, like the apostles claimed, you will not be able to stop these men. You'll only find yourselves fighting against God. Now, there's some people that you might want to take on in a fight, but I do not advise you to take on God. Because what what chance does the creature have with the Creator? Fighting against God. When the Holy Spirit convicts you of something and you don't obey, that seems to me that you're fighting against God. Now I'm sure there's different levels of fighting against God, but I don't want it put on my tombstone He fought against God. It seems a crazy, foolish thing to do. And as somebody said in class this morning, you know, if you are 400 years and you're taught something for 400 years, it's pretty hard to let go. And I agree. It really would be very, very... Most of us in this room could not even begin to comprehend how hard it would be for a Jewish person to sit down with an unclean Gentile. We have no comprehension of that. Or that some uh, uneducated Galilean could come along and claim to be the Son of God or the Son of Man, fulfilling the prophecies in Daniel. Or that, these apostles, and all that this man, this criminal that had been put on the cross, is, is, is Lord of all been resurrected from the dead? And, and you're asking me to believe in the resurrection? We don't even believe in the possibility as a Sadducee of the resurrection. And yet, God gave evidence after evidence. after, And that's what He does in our life too. God does not ask you to believe without evidence. This is not a leap into the dark, trusting in God. The evidences are there. Jesus said, if you have eyes to see and ears to hear, it's there. God is not far from every one of us, Paul says. So don't allow yourself any longer to fight against God. These men did. And if they continued to fight against God, they certainly lost out on eternal life. His speech persuaded them and I wish it could stop right there, but it doesn't. They called the apostles in and they had them flogged. Now that wasn't fun. Maybe 39 lashes. 40 lashes minus 1 is the way they used to whip them. And then they ordered them not to speak. Again, they repeated this in the name of the Lord Jesus, and they let them go. So when these apostles left, I assume that their bodies are bleeding and stinging and hurting. But notice how they react. They are what? They left the Sanhedrin in verse 41. They're rejoicing. Jesus says rejoice when you're persecuted and when you suffer for righteousness' sake. Great is your reward in heaven. And these men knew it. No matter what the world did to them. Take the body, but you cannot destroy the soul. What tremendous courage. And we've seen it on the part of Peter before. We can focus on the defects of this man. And they're in Scripture so that we take note of them. But focus on what God did through this man when he is transformed by the Holy Spirit. What a great leader he was. No wonder the Catholics want to claim Him for themselves. And this method of Satan persecuting the church in a physical, violent way has always been his strategy. On the Nero, Christians were imprisoned and executed. Probably Paul and Peter died on the Nero. Domitian, 80, 81 to '96, oppressed Christians who refused to pay him the divine honors that he demanded. Many of these emperors looked on themselves as divine. And if you did not regard them that way, then you were in trouble. And it was under Domitian that John was exiled to the Isle of Patmos. Marcus Aurelius, A.D. 61 to A.D. 180. Believing that Christianity was dangerous and immoral, turned a blind eye to severe local outbreaks of mob violence. He allowed the people to hurt Christians. Decius, A.D. 249. So now we're talking of 200 years plus after Christ. Thousands died under Him. Fabian, the bishop of Rome, died for refusing to sacrifice to the imperial name. And let's understand what we're talking about here. Maybe it was just burning a little bit of incense and saying Caesar is Lord. Three words. And if you, if you would not do that, you'd probably die. Husbands tore away from wives. Wives torn away. Families destroyed. And then, of course, many of us heard of Diocletian by the 4th century. He issued four edicts which were intended to stamp out Christianity totally. But what did Jesus say? My kingdom will expand. It's God's plan. It's God's purpose. It's God's strategy. Satan can use these methods of violence and persecution to hurt the church, but he cannot stop the cause. He or, Diocletian ordered churches to be burned, Scriptures confiscated, clergy tortured, and Christian civil servants to be deprived of their citizenship, and if they are unrepentant, to be executed. And even today, in Marxist settings, in Hindu and Muslim countries, the church is still harassed. While we're talking, there are Christians laying down their lives. More Christians have died in the 20th century than all of the centuries put together. Tertullian put it this way, killers, torturers, condemners, us to dust. The more you mow us down, the more we grow. The seed is the blood of the Christians. And someone else has said, without bleeding, the church fails to bless. Most of us don't know too much about that kind of persecution. But there are Seventh-day Adventists in Mexico who have had hands cut off, who have laid down their lives for being Seventh-day Adventist Christians. Well, the apostles leave the Sanhedrin. They rejoiced because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for what? Disgrace for what? It doesn't say Jesus. At least not in this translation. Disgrace for the name, capital N in this translation. Day after day in the temple courts, from house to house, they never stop teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ, Jesus is the Messiah. Look at the irony here. For hundreds and hundreds, many hundreds of years, Messiah will come. Messiah will come. Every pregnant Jewish woman would hope that she would give birth to the chosen one. And then when he came, most of them missed him. It boggles our mind. We don't understand it. It seems so obvious in Scripture that Jesus fulfilled the promises, but they missed it. But those that were sincere in heart, even though they were mis- they misunderstood, God has a way of reaching the sincere in heart. If you're in a culture, such as a Muslim culture, maybe no access to the Word of God, to the Bible, all they have is the Koran in Arabic, If you don't read Arabic, you're in trouble. So God will give them dreams. Dreams are big in that culture and have been for thousands of years. So God will use whatever legitimate means He can to reach men and women, boys and girls, to tell them the truth about the Lord Jesus Christ. And I look at it as a privilege. I hope you do too. That Jesus would use somebody like me, somebody like you, to take people out of darkness into His marvelous light. Let's dedicate ourselves, rededicate ourselves again today to the cause of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and His church. Let's pray. Gracious God, we're all sinners heading for hell, deserving nothing, and yet getting everything when we trust in Jesus Christ. So I pray, Lord, that you help each one of us here this morning truly to trust in Jesus for our forgiveness of sins, for our name being written in the book of life. Trust in Jesus that we receive this new life and this gift of the Holy Spirit and all of the blessings and the promises that are given to us. We see Satan's strategy to keep people in confusion and darkness. But we thank you, Lord, that the gospel of Jesus has come and that there is light, and it's a glorious light. Many of us have been, our lives have been affected by the Holy Spirit and the Lord Jesus Christ. May we go out of this building, Lord, open these mouths and these hearts of ours to help a lost society which is in darkness and needs the truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.